yeah, the Montana yeah. legislator, it's uh, it's really fucking things over, and it feels bad to recognize how a sizable number of the population of the state is totally okay with some of these draconian and unconstitutional laws that our tax dollars are going to spend, you know, months and years in litigation uh, paying for. I think it's it's really fucked up. It is really fucked up, actually. I am terrified and enraged, like just constantly lately over the yeah. entire thing. Hey, parents, grab your kids, sit them down in front of the podcast machine because it's time for your favorite podcast, SJW, Social Justice Weirdos. My name is Charlie McCorn. I use they, she pronouns. And I am Lenny Peppers. I use she, her pronouns. And this is the podcast where two social justice weirdos talk about uh, the things that interest them and the intersections of history with the intersections of justice. Uh, Lenny, what are we talking about today? I'm talking about something that I talk about basically any chance that I get. And so today I'll be talking about Pocahontas. And I know that like this subject has been discussed like over and over again, um, specifically addressing like Native American issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically murdered and missing indigenous women. Lay, lay it on us for people who may have only seen the, the film adaptations. Most people see Pocahontas as being, or know Pocahontas from the Disney film Pocahontas. Uh, I, am, I am super excited because hopefully from this uh, episode, we can learn to, uh, to sing with all the colors of the wind. Yeah, <laughs> and this kind of turned Pocahontas into like this Disney princess. She's actually 18 years old, like in the cartoon, mm-hmm. and falls in love with John Smith. But Pocahontas wasn't even her uh, real name. It was a nickname given to her. It was, from what I would understand, it was her mother's name. And her mother had died during childbirth, uh, mm. giving birth to her. And so she has several names, including... Uh, Amanute and Matelica and um, Rebecca Rolf. So these are. I'm all guessing ones. that one, that third one, may have come later in her life. I'm guessing. Yes. <laughs> Matelica actually means something like playful one or like like naughty child, <laughs> which even in my culture is like a it's like a term of endearment, like. Sure. In, in in our culture, we're called little bastards, and you little shit get over here. So same same basic thing. Yeah. <laughs> Terms of endearment. Terms of endearment. Yes. Uh, I have to say uh, that the when I very first met my current husband, um, the very first time he heard me call my kids little assholes. <laughs> he was completely shocked <laughs> like, <laughs> like he didn't have any kids he's like in his 30s uh and uh then now that he's been with me for a decade like that doesn't even like raise his eyebrows anymore yeah, he's calling them way worse things <laughs> on the reg <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so uh the story that we know is that uh, 18-year-old Pocahontas uh, saved John Smith from being murdered by her father, and they fell in love, and they lived happily ever after. Because in Disney films, happily ever after. Yeah. 
Uh, what really happened was that Pocahontas was a child, uh, was kidnapped probably around age 11, and was held hostage and was eventually taken over to Europe where she died alone away from her people. None of that's in the Disney movie. Like, no, no. <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, I thought, okay, I, I will admit I only had sort of the knowledge of, of Pocahontas from, from what you gave and from I mean, that Disney movie, definitely. I'm, I'm a sucker for the Disney, Disney princesses, era quotes. Uh, I, but th- that story, I was assuming it'd be like, there'd be some similarity, there'd be this, but uh, the child kidnapping aspect of this, that is something that, that surprises me. Yeah, so she is actually considered, even though uh, indigenous women have been like stolen and murdered and trafficked since October-ish of 1492. Yeah, up until uh, <laughs> now, up until like, this is still something going on. We want to make sure that we're very clear about this is still happening. Yeah, and this is still happening today. Mm-hmm. But uh, Pocahontas is considered our first named murdered and missing Indigenous woman. Oh my God! Uh, even though, like I said, this had been happening up until that point and it's still happening to this day. Pocahontas is like a symbol for Native American women as the first. Uh, murdered and missing indigenous woman and it's a close topic to me because my mother is a murdered and missing indigenous woman survivor and so this like topic is something this is why I'm able to just like talk about Pocahontas because it gives it has in the past given me like a way to really understand how what happened to my mother happened to her and then um to find maybe ways to get the knowledge out there of like that this is still happening and it's happening even here where we live in like you know small town Montana and you know it's my goal to like hopefully bring enough attention to it to like really make a curve in changing the way people see us and the way people see this issue and that must be just so frustrating and 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 painful to to have this story which is sort of the you know this named person from history sort of like a lot of people probably couldn't name let's say any native american women except for like maybe pocahontas or sacagawea yeah it must be so frustrating to have like their thing oh yeah pocahontas and have this whole vision that is so far from the actual truth and still has these like tendrils that are still, you know, creating actual heartbreak and, and trauma today. Like I, I've never considered that, but that must just be awful. Yeah. And, and another thing is, is that she actually has ancestors here in America who are alive today, who also speak about her history and for the exact same reasons. And a lot of the focus has been on Disney's Pocahontas, but today I'm going to talk about and now that we have kind of like a base history Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. her life I'm going to talk about like Pocahontas representations since 1776 no 1766 okay I was going to say you know we were signing the Declaration of Independence and we were producing plays about Native American women what a great year to be an American yeah the interesting thing uh so when it comes to American plays American opera, American film, and American popular music, uh, Native Americans have been 
uh, a part of it, both as like topics in all of these conversations, like there's a lot of songs, like pop culture songs written about Native Americans. There's a lot of movies, there's a lot of plays uh, and operas in America that are really focused on Native Americans. And also like Native Americans had one of the very first opera houses here in the country. And we have famous like prima ballerinas that were Native American. And so we are part of growing all of these different cultures in America as well, uh, but completely erased from the histories of all of these different representations. Plays themselves uh, were some of the first representations of Natives. Uh, one of the first plays in America was one called Ponteach or The Savages of America, written by Major Robert Rogers. Oh, uh, written by a major and with the name Savages. I bet this was a very like well-balanced and fair representation of, of, of the Native peoples. Uh, he, yeah, he was a poet and he was a romantic. So the play was all poetic and romantic and people were like shocked. They were like, oh, these are like noble and innocent Indians. Like you can't have them represented like this. Oh, wow. Rogers was probably trying to appease his conscience because he was a renowned Indian fighter. Um, ah. And so he, he kind of wrote this play and it feels like maybe it was like a, some sort of like making up for the horrible things that he did to natives. Then again, maybe it was just another horrible thing he was doing to natives. So they have this girl in there who's like the virtuous princess, Mona Lea. Oh, and, sure. Well, da Vinci uh, painted her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that would be hilarious to have a Mona Lea. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, he, um, like, this kind of set precedent for the virtuous Native American Indian princess. So as a stereotype, it sort of came from this play. Yeah. Uh, this is, yeah, this is like one of the places it came from, but one of like the big, like you can trace it back to that point. Uh, and the reason why you have to have a pure, like virginal Native American woman of royalty mm -hmm. is specifically because their love interest is a white male. And that was the best way to bring them up to the standards of being worthy, even in the fictional world. Can I ask you, so I like the way that you, you or the way that you phrase that, uh, not calling her like a princess, but a, a member of, is, is that is, and it's something I was just thinking about is, and princess is obviously, I think, a very like European concept, I, I yeah. would think, is that, that seems kind of, kind of loaded. Um, and it's interesting that, it seems if I'm, if I'm tracking, the idea was that there's this character who had to be in love with a white man to make it acceptable for audiences. But then also there's this like secondary layer of like European like history slapped on top of it. So the audience yeah. can kind of like, oh, she's a princess. We know what that means. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So this already started. And so this started around this time. And then we see it over and over and over again. We see it in, um, let's see, like Longfellow writings. We see it in uh, people today who still come up to me and are like, my great-grandmother was an Indian princess. 
on stage? So like, unless you're saying <laughs> they were a performer in a mm, culturally insensitive play. <laughs> that, oh, oh. No, no, people are like excited to tell me about it. Like my great grandmother was an Indian princess. Well, by their logic, then I'm an Indian princess. <laughs> I am like a great, great granddaughter of like chiefs that fought during the Indian wars. So. Yeah, I, that is wild to me. I, uh, speaking from own experience as a white person, there was a story in my family about how one of my uh, great grandmothers was, was, was Native American. Uh, mm -hmm. However, and that was sort of the story that was sort of told about, yeah. oh, which at some point, like I was told that I was like a 16th Native American, which I, I, I thought was weird and I'd never claimed anything like that. But I did take a couple of DNA tests and they conclusively proved that that person- That you're 100% uh, that was, bitch. I, <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, it proved that. <laughs> um, but also proved that there is, uh, there was no Native American ancestry in my family. Ah, yeah, that's, that's like a popular thing. Like even in my, both of my white ex-husband and my white current husband's families, uh, that was like a story in their family too. And there's several reasons for it. Uh, first off, because there's this type of nostalgia that goes along with being like possibly from a point of royalty. Mm -hmm. uh, there is the Americanization of Native American lineages that makes it so that if you have a Native American language, there's a way to like have a claim to this land in like this guilt-free kind of way. Yeah, uh, it's okay because I'm part native. So this is, you know, this is our land. Hashtag land back. If you do find that you have Native American lineage, like finding out where that comes from, mm -hmm. finding other family members, learning, you know, about your tribe and fighting for issues that affect tribal people in America today. So like there's a lot of ways that you can ethically actually use that. But or also, you know, if family said that you had an ancestor and then it turns out that you didn't, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do those things anyway. Yeah, I would, I would say yes. Regardless of your, regardless of your background, uh, hashtag land back. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Is there also like a level of like white guilt in there, do you think? Where it's just oh, like, yeah, well, totally. I have a Native American ancestor, I can't feel bad for, you know, the generations of genocide carried out by the other parts of my genetic makeup like i, I feel yeah. that there's just like a, a good heaping spoonful of white guilt in there oh yeah totally um colonial guilt yeah all of that uh so we we also see this in romance novels uh, a lot to this day and i have like this amazing collection of romance novels that this is the main thing like mm -hmm. if there is a woman she has to be of noble blood and it and even in romance films if a white person marries a Native American person, it always has to end tragically. And that kind of speaks to uh, the way that people see what happened in history and also like what is going to happen. When you still see movies like that today, like in Lovecraft Country, where they kill off the only Native character that was <laughs> in the entire thing, we kind of see this attitude of unworthiness that Hollywood and major media sees Native American people and our lives. That's how like all of this affects us today. 
1808, we have uh, the legend of Pocahontas that comes up. And the name of the play was The Indian Princess or La Belle Savage by James Ooh. M. Barker. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh. We have a romantic figure, a virgin princess, and they convert her to a dusky Madonna. This is where we kind of see what was a child being turned into a woman and specifically like a, a sexy, like hypersexualized woman. Which, which is, I mean, probably a topic we could talk about on a bunch of episodes about how society sexualizes uh, young women. Uh, yeah. So then George Washington Park uh, Custis, who's the step-grandson of Washington, who were also the neighbors of my white ancestry. Like my last name is Peppers. It was originally Piper back then. Pipers were neighbors to the Washingtons. He wrote Pocahontas or Settlers of Virginia in 1830. Like the name George Washington, like his like family name. Mm-hmm. Uh, added incentive to include like a rescue scene in the repertoire of grade school pageants. We start seeing this play like coming up in like grade schools this is a part of the americanization efforts to make native americans specifically the death of native americans a part of the american storyline of like this is sad that this had to happen but it created this great nation you know and so there's an actual huge effort to like make native american history history uh, not the present like, like yeah, the idea yeah. of like oh the settlers came and they met these friendly natives and then they all died for some reason but hey things are better now like the thanksgiving story that gets yep. and westerns which we could talk about a lot is really the only oh, like yeah, media totally. portrayal that most people get of indigenous peoples like those are the yep. two areas this and they're both just glossing over like a real actual genocide that was being carried out over centuries yep and this is kind of where that like tie in with education and the thanksgiving story kind of comes into play like pocahontas did that when we're thinking about pocahontas specifically throughout history Mm -hmm. the character and not the actual person is like the reason why we see these tragic romantic relationships it's why we see uh Pocahontas is a grown and hypersexualized woman. And now it's also why we see the Thanksgiving play. Like there's like a small jump from showing this play in schools to like this being a Thanksgiving thing. But around this time, they also tied in like very closely um, Catholicism. And at one point in this play, Pocahontas says she confronts her father. And these are like the big words of the play. These are the things that stirred everyone up. She says, cruel king, the ties of blood which bound me to thee are dissevered, as I have been long those of thy sanguinary religion. For know that I have abjured thy senseless gods and now worship the supreme being, the true Manitou, the father of the universe, to his almighty hand that sustains me, to his divine spirit that breathes in my soul, and prompted Pocahontas to a deed which future ages will admire. And so it's kind of like sick to think about it. This was in 1808 and we were having some like major 
assimilation policies starting to be put into place, her severing her relationship with that part of history and becoming Pocahontas, the now assimilated Native American. Sure. She, the, uh, the white European God came and opened up her eyes. Yes. (laughs) And then we have uh, Pocahontas, a historical drama by Robert Dale Owen in 1838. Uh, then The Forest Princess, or Two Centuries Ago, in 1848 by Charlotte M.S. Barnes, one of the first, like, female-written representations of Pocahontas. Mm-hmm. But it just repeated the same story over again. Then we have a satire, Pocahontas, or The Gentle Savage in 1855, which, like, kind of made fun of the entire thing. But in, like, this really sick, like, (laughs) I don't know. It, like, this, I don't know. It's, like, a really fucked up way. It's kind of like, uh, what was that Adam Sandler movie where he had Native Americans and everybody walked off set? Like, a bunch of the Natives walked off set during the making of it. The the Western, the the Silly Six or something? (laughs) Yeah, something, yeah. Couldn't Uh, couldn't tell you. It was like fucked up like that. Oh, wow. Um, so then we start seeing novels. Um, we see like Hiawatha. We see uh, Laughing Water, uh, The Last of the Wampanoags. And we start getting into like this history of like now they have successfully made Native American history a part of history, a part of, Na- of American history. And... So now we have the vanishing Indian kind of storyline. Sure. Uh, throughout this time, we still have Pocahontas type characters um, who are hypersexualized, and we get into Pocahontas, which is um, burlesque, hmm. uh, a big burlesque show, and Metamora, the last of the Pollywogs, which was also like a type of burlesque. Um, same thing hypersexualized Native American woman uh, we have more plays and then we get, move into films we have 1905 The Squaw Man we have White Eagle we have Strong Heart uh, and then there's just hundreds of them like uh, Native American romance and um, melodrama and um, action films like hit Hollywood and but they repeated the same kind of Pocahontas trope over and over again and so when they got to actually the Disney version of Pocahontas they were really just repeating the Pocahontas that had been in the media for like 200 years wow, wow. um yeah and even though the original, like, people who are saying that are like, why are you making her sexy? She's a savage. Like, they, oh, wow. you know, 1995, the cartoon was made. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is raised, like, why are you making her sexy? And what it came down to was, I mean, because why else would John Smith want her? <laughs> you know? Yeah. She has to have some level of traditional European beauty standards or else the audience won't believe this movie about a magic tree that teaches you how to speak English. Unless it's too unrealistic. She doesn't subscribe to traditional beauty standards. Therefore, the audience wouldn't buy it. 
that was their fear. That was that was 100% their fear. And it wasn't, and I, I, I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth. I don't know if any of this is true or not. But the way you know that someone had to phrase it was probably like, could you make her look a little wider? Like, could you make her, yeah. like, could you, mm, I don't know, make her like a six foot seven statuesque beauty? Could you? Yeah. And also because she had always been portrayed that way, like she wasn't cast by Native Americans, like throughout history, she was cast by white women and mostly like European wow. white women, not even like American white women. Like they would bring in people who are like Italian. And oh, this great like, actress <laughs> is playing the role of Pocahontas. Thank yeah. You. Wow. Yeah. That is crazy. So yeah, that's the history of the uh, that's the history of, uh, it's like a brief history of yeah. Pocahontas. I feel like I learned so much in this episode. Like the, the larger story, I think, and seeing sort of the connective thread between obviously the larger issues that have sort of come up in the last 400, 500 years. And just seeing like that direct line into that super mediocre Disney movie. Like just yeah. seeing history just sort of drive right into that thing and I guess I, I guess my my takeaway, I feel very bad for the the historical figure that Pocahontas is based on, especially understanding now the connection to the MMIW. Uh, I, I, I think it's I don't know just that that level of of taking a real person, and then just completely like stripping off everything that made that person that person her 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 culture her age her agency. Her yeah. Freedom. And then all that we have left is like this this stereotype yeah. of native women. And it fucking sucks that she's like the one anyone can name. Yeah. You she's also the one that Pocahontas can name. And like it, you know, really made a point of how when you take all of those things away from a woman. Uh, in this case, a Native American woman, uh, what you have left of her is a slur. Yeah. Wow. Um, this was this was enlightening uh, in a lot of ways. Lenny, thank you for all this uh, awesome research. I'm excited to circle back to this topic and some of the little like areas that I think need to be expanded a little bit. But this is a this was fantastic. Yeah, uh, I I love talking about Pocahontas and. Um, I, I will definitely circle back to this. I mean, there's like different levels that we can talk about too. Like Pocahontas is MMIW. The story of like how America um, turned Native Americans into uh, a part of our history without including us in the history, like without including us in like the building of the country. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. And like that one's really good because we can talk about like, um, the guy who wrote The Headless Horseman. Uh, I can't think of the name right now. Washington Irving. Yes. Uh, Washington Irving and how he played a role in all of that. Like I, like this is what, like all my degrees are like geared towards is just this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more of your research on it. Yeah, thanks. Um, before we go, we just want to do a quick programming announcement. We're going to every two weeks uh, following this episode, I don't yes. know if we talked about in the last one, but you're deep in uh, your doctoral research, and I am frantically trying not to be unemployed for much longer. 
but we're going to be going to two weeks for uh, the foreseeable future, but we will circle back around as situations and circumstances change. Yeah, and also uh, another reason why we're going to two weeks is because we have some awesome uh, comic books coming out. Uh, and so I'm working on my comic book, Quantum, which is about a Native American woman who loses her sister. And we have discussions about racism, discussions about systemic problems in healthcare and of course murdered and missing indigenous women in my <laughs> story and Charlie also has some things upcoming what do you I have do. going on well Linda Linda unlicensed detective is finishing up the inks right now next to the letter it's a whole process but if you want something a bit more immediate if you jump over to my website charliemccorn.com c-h-a-r-l-e-y-m-a-c-o-r-n.com you can check out my brand new comic zine that I dropped last week. I'm incredibly proud of it. It's uh, 24 pages. I, I wrote and illustrated the entire thing. And it is, I mean, I don't really necessarily say this in it or to the larger people, but hey, our audience, they're cool. They'll get this. It's basically my memoir. It's the first part of my memoir. So please uh, grab a read on that. And if you like our podcast, give us five stars, leave a review. Tell us how great we are. Tell your friends. Uh, don't tell your enemies. I mean, if you really don't like the show, tell your enemies. But if they're going to be our enemies too, we don't want them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I am Lenny Peppers. I'm Charlie McCorn. And remember, you might not be able to change the world, but you can at least throw a brick. <laughs>